All right, so let's get going. I've already said hello. I've already said good morning. If this is your first time joining us, wow, we're glad you're here. Um, it's a good time for you to be here. You're not missing anything. You haven't uh, walked in the middle of a series. In fact, we just finished a series, Starting Point, uh, a couple weeks ago, and we will start a brand new series called Follow, and we'll do that on April 24th, which will be after Easter and after the Easter season. So we've got a little bit of in-between time. So today, I want to take advantage of this in-between time and do something a little bit different. And, and let me explain what I'm going to do here. Now, now, some of you know that I'm very close to my brother, Paul. Paul lives in California, lives in Northern California, and uh, he and I speak every day. In fact, he usually calls me before I get up, which means he's up at least three hours before I am every single day, which he does. He walks every day and calls me when he's walking. He's a partner at this huge accounting firm. He's been there for three decades since, since he got out of college. And so he has become fluent in corporate speak. Let me circle back around, you know, that sort of thing. And, and a phrase that he's taught me over the years is he's taught me the phrase adding value or to add value. Anybody familiar with that phrase? Yeah, that's his, his firm is all about adding value uh, for their clients, adding value for their clients' businesses, things like that. So I'm going to borrow from my brother Paul today because I want to do something for you all. I want to add value to your lives. And I'm going to do that by unpacking a phrase that I shared with you all last week. It's a phrase that I've been listening to Andy Stanley say for, for years now, and, and I've sort of adopted the phrase. I like the phrase. That's what you do. That's what I do in life is when you see things you like and other people say them, you go, okay, I'm going to make that part of my repertoire and things like that. Here's the phrase. The phrase is, following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life, which is it's a very well-turned phrase, isn't it? Well, today I'm going to tell you how. So by the time we reach our conclusion this morning, I want everyone to know how to make this phrase true in your life. Does that sound interesting? Something good, right? Well, let's pray, and then we'll get going. Father God, thank you again for gathering us together. Father, uh, even though we know there are gremlins in the technology and things don't uh, click and project the way we want, you are in charge and you love us. And you've gathered us here this morning for a purpose. So God, allow us to be a part of that purpose. Allow us to open our hearts and minds so that we can understand how you would have us live this life. God, we're so thankful that we belong to you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off with an issue that seems to be at the top of everybody's concern list these days. And that issue is the issue of disconnectedness. Isolation, disconnectedness. And, and I've talked about it a few times this year and certainly a few times as, as COVID's been with us. And it seems that not a week goes by that somebody doesn't reach out to me and tell me how isolated they feel and how alone they feel. And it's interesting because everybody thinks that they're alone and they're the only ones feeling that way. But the truth of the matter is they're not unique. We're all feeling that way. The world over, loneliness has become a huge issue. Former British Prime Minister Theresa May <clears throat> actually appointed the UK's first Minister of Loneliness. Isn't that wild? That there is a government person getting paid as the Minister of Loneliness. 
I think they could have called me that when I was in high school trying to, trying to date. The Minister of Loneliness. That would have been a great title. But the Minister of Loneliness was appointed to try to address the issue, which Prime Minister May referred to as one of the greatest public health challenges of our time. Did you ever think loneliness would be a great public health challenge? U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy has spoken about the loneliness crisis. He actually even wrote a book. His book is called Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely Word. Not exactly flows trippingly off your tongue title, but there it is. It's descriptive at least. But notwithstanding the fact that policymakers are thinking about it, they're not doing anything about it. They're very slow to recommend solutions. And I'm going to guess that most policymakers don't want any solutions to the loneliness crisis because there's more money in keeping us apart than there is in bringing us together. So it's nothing new for us. But after two years of COVID isolation, even the introverts among us want to be around people at least a little bit. I live with an introvert and even she's missing people. Of course, given where we're having this conversation. I mean, you're all in church and, and you came here by choice. Uh, like I didn't force you here. So you all know what the solution to the problem is or you have a pretty good idea of it. And so if you've been coming around church for a while, you know that since the very beginning, God has actually spoken into this issue and God has made his position on loneliness quite clear. And God's position on loneliness, if you need it summed up, is God's not a fan, okay? God's not a fan of loneliness. God's all about community in, in every way. So when I say that, okay, what am I talking about? Why, how am I saying that God is about community in every way? Well, think about it this way. God himself isn't alone, right? We understand we're followers of Jesus. We understand that God is triune, the Trinity. Our God is one God in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, in the prayer known as the Shema, which is crazy because you can actually see the word Shema on bumper stickers in Boca Raton. I don't think you could say that in Oklahoma City or Des Moines. But the Shema, which is the, the prayer that the Jewish people recite twice a day, you can see both God's unity, his oneness, but you could also see his community. <clears throat> see what I did there? So take a look at this. The prayer goes like this in English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, now I put down the Hebrew down there for you. One reason I did that is to show off. But two is because I want to talk about a word. So the, that up there says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. So the last word up there is the word Echad. Now, Echad is the Hebrew word used here for the word one. But actually, it's a bit more of a nuanced word than just the word one. It refers to a unity of one. And that sounds like I made it up, doesn't it? I mean, what is a unity of one? That's like an oxymoron, jumbo shrimp, military intelligence, things like that. But it's not because it's really easier if you think about it this way. Now, I know that's just bananas, but that's a bunch, one bunch of bananas. So if I say... Could you please run out to the store and pick me up a bunch of bananas and you bring me back one banana? I'm going to think you didn't understand what I was saying. You didn't listen. You didn't do what I asked, right? A bunch of bananas implies more than one bananas. So a, bun 
A bunch is singular, but it implies a plural, just like God. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Echad. Okay, so God at the top of it all, at the top, is not alone. He is with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When he creates man, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, right? So let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So now, if you know your Bible a little bit, who's God talking to when he says this? He hasn't made anybody yet. Some people used to think he was talking to the angels. No, he's not. People are not made in the image and likeness of angels. So who's God talking to? He is talking to himself, the Echad, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? So God created mankind in his own image, male and female. He created them. So you see how that works? We're talking, we're not talking about individualism. We are talking about unity. God isn't fond of loneliness. Later on, after God <clears throat> created the man, he said it's not good for the man to be alone. Were you wondering, is it good to be alone? No, God said it's not good for the man to be alone. That is why he made a helper suitable for him. Don't be offended by the word helper. We'll talk about it one other day, but it's actually a very positive uh, identification of the woman. Now, from this, we all learn that God is a God of community and God wants community for us as well. Now, as we go through the Old Testament, as we go through the Hebrew scripture, we see this coming up over and over again. King Solomon referred to it in Ecclesiastes 4, though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay, so that is a passage that points to community, being together. Jesus said it also, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them, calling for community. It's community, okay? Even the apostle Paul preached about community when he explained how the body of Christ, remember the body of Christ is just a a churchy phrase that's used, it's a biblical phrase that's used to describe all of God's people. So here we are part of the body of Christ, all all of us collectively. And so Paul talked about how the body of Christ works together in community in 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are part of the body of Christ. Each one of you, each one of us is a part of the body of Christ. So you see it, right? Like I kind of made the point. God made us to be together. God made us to be in community. So now let's go back to our question. How do we make this statement, following Jesus will make make your life better and make you better at life. How do we make that a reality in your life as a part of the community of Hammock Street Church? Well, there's one simple answer, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, and that answer is you need to engage. If we want to break free from the epidemic of loneliness in our world, we need to engage. And to explain what I mean by that, I'm going to do a little bit of something else that I don't usually do, is I'm going to make a list. And now, there's a lot of, of pastors, and, and this is a very pastoral technique for preparing sermons, and basically we kind of refer to it as three points in a poem, you know, you, and every Christian will do these three things, blah, 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 tell a little story at the end, and that's how that goes. I don't typically like to do that, but I'm going to list you four things today because you need to know about these four things so that you know what you need to do to engage. And if you engage, you will be able to overcome loneliness and add value to your life, but more importantly, to live a life that brings glory to God. So here are those four words. The words are connect serve, give, and invite. Connect, serve, 
give, and invite. So let's break those down. Now, to be engaged here at Hammock Street, you need to connect with other people. Now, that's not surprising, right? That is completely not surprising. And the way that you engage is not done best by sitting in rows and looking forward, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way it goes. When we go to the movies, we don't know who's sitting next to us. When we go to the football game or the hockey game or the basketball game or the baseball game, we really don't pay attention to who's sitting around us unless we brought them with us or unless they're really bothering us. So we don't really notice that. So you need to do something a little bit different, something in addition. And the way that you engage and connect with others is by becoming a part of a life group or a small group or a community group. They all mean the same thing. Now, I do talk about the value of life groups all the time, I feel like, but, and I don't like admitting this, but I must not be talking about them the right way. Because I don't think I've convinced everybody that they're really important. So I'm giving it another shot. Now, it is possible that when I start talking about life groups, your brains automatically just go, oh, something else I have to do during the week? Oh, who has the time? Okay, <clears throat> turn off. Or maybe you just reflexively think, oh, he's a pastor. He has to say stuff like that. And then you get out your phone and you're checking Instagram and you're seeing where you're going to have lunch and stuff like that. But I need, I need you to know, I'm not talking about life groups because it's part of my job. I'm talking about life groups because I love you. That's really why. And I know that if you figure this out, it'll make your life better. You see, spiritual growth needs that kind of connection. But I understand if you're hesitant. Because I was hesitant, really hesitant. When I first became a believer and I first started going to church, and I talked about that last week a little bit, I was immediately pointed to a church life group. And I totally didn't think that was for me. And, and my first group experience, and I've talked about this over the years, made me a bit uncomfortable. Because not only were we new to what I call the church, we were new to the faith. Like we were brand new believers. We'd never done any of this. We never really had met any church people before either. And so when we joined a church and they pointed us to this life group and they gave us this address and we decided, okay, we're going to go and check it out. Beth and I drove to somebody's home. I remember their names. I'm not going to tell you though, but you don't know them. And they're a very nice couple. We drove to their home and, and, and we're, you know, we are, we're Beth's from, Beth grew up in New York and then went to Miami. I grew up in Miami. You're not, it's not a social, you don't bring your neighbor's pie and stuff. And just drop by for coffee in Miami. It's just not something you do. So it's kind of weird for us to go to some stranger's house. It was, it was very strange. But we went to these people's house. They're extremely nice people. They couldn't have been more pleasant or welcoming or accommodating. That wasn't the issue. But the issue was, I have to go to somebody's house? That seems so intimate. And, and we have to talk about stuff that I'm quite unfamiliar with. And, and I've never done anything like this before. It was just weird. And so we went, we sat in the group and we had snacks and we read the Bible and it was okay, but we left and Beth and I kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, we're not doing that again. But not too long thereafter, we got invited again to another life group. And, and I don't know why, but we accepted. And you know something, this time we loved it. Like we were really happy we accepted. And in fact, to this day, and that happened a long time ago, we still have friendships that we made in that group. And we became 
life group people. I never thought that would happen to me, but it was a good thing because it wasn't too long after that that I went into full-time ministry. And can you imagine what my first job was supposed to be, what I was hired to do? If, if you were guessing, lead a life group ministry, you would be right. Okay, so I go into a big church and they go, congratulations, you're a new assistant pastor and now your job is to lead a life group ministry and I'm thinking, really? You sure I'm the guy you wanna ask? Which is why when we have deacons that come up and deacons are our officers that help serve around here, every time a deacon says to me, really? You're sure that I'm the guy you wanna ask? That makes me go, yes, absolutely, because I am you. Like that's the same thing. But it was in that position as the life group pastor that I was able to connect and literally literally hundreds and hundreds of people to one another. I was able to help people make so many connections in God's community. And along the way, I learned over and over and over again the invaluable benefits of being connected through a life group. And I also learned that I wasn't alone in seeing that anyone, anyone who's ever been involved in a life group will say the same thing. They're really powerful. And it's been a lot of years now, and I have met so many awesome people in life groups. And, and we've seen that life groups are just the best places to experience this deep spiritual growth. One of the calls that we have as believers in Jesus is we're called to make disciples. And disciples comes from that Greek word mathetis. And if you think about mathetis, it sounds like mathematics, which is where you get mathematics. And it gives you this kind of systematic learning process where you learn something basic and then you build on it and you build on it and you build on it. And small groups are the best place to learn in this way because they go for a while and you have deep conversations and you go where the conversation's going. It's really interesting and impactful and you get to meet God and meet God's people. Now, even if you're just discovering this or you're taking my word for it, I mean, it's always been true for Jesus's people. Being connected to one another is one of the things that set Christianity apart from every other religion, especially every other pagan religion of the first century, but also now what I call the neo-pagan religions, the movements and organizations that we venerate in the 21st century, there are sure a lot of them. Now, the pagan religions of the first century, here's what they essentially all taught. They essentially all taught that there's a God out there somewhere, and that God is really angry with you, and he's really disappointed by you. That's what you learned. That's what you learned when you first started going to church or when you belonged to some other group or whatever. It's like God is mad and you've let him down. And because of that, you're going to need to go somewhere. And you're, you're going to need to say some words, special words. And you're going to need to sacrifice something. And you're going to need to pay some amount if you ever, ever want to hope to appease that angry God. Oh, but... No one's going to tell you if you've been successful. No one's going to tell you when you've done enough because the truth is you can't do enough. And when you think about it objectively, those neo-pagan religions of our day are the same thing. And I'm not going to tell you what I think they are because if I name your pet movement or whatever current cause you think is worthy of a huge chunk of your time and your attention and maybe even your worship. If I name yours, you're gonna zone out. You're gonna cross your arms and you're gonna go, nope, not listening to anything else he says. So you can use your imagination. If you wanna think about other people's pagan gods, you can think about them, that's fine. But Christianity's different than all of them because Christianity at its root, it's all about each other. The Jesus movement is all about each other. 
The way that we show our love for God is not by signaling how devoted we are to an intangible, invisible God through our words. You see how devoted I am because I use flowery words or spiritual-sounding words. And it's not through, by the way, our clothing, if we wear clothing that tells us, you know, something about Jesus or our bumper stickers or our social media posts. That is not how we show our devotion to God. But rather, we show our devotion to God by how much unconditional love we show each other. Now, Jesus came along into a world that was filled with fear and filled with violence. And Jesus said, with me, it's different. My followers are going to show their devotion to God by the way that they treat each other. Now, this fact became obvious to me once again. I, you ever, do, you do, do you do that too? You kind of know something and then you have to keep learning it over and over and over again. I do that. A couple weeks ago, we have an empty nester group around here. And we got together for some miniature golf over at Putting Around, which Putting, Putting Around, which is up in Delray Beach. We went out for supper after. Had about 17 people that night. And after spending just a few hours together and hanging around and laughing and eating together, and, and most of us have been seeing each other in church for a long, long time, but just hanging around that way, focusing on each other, spending time together, it just hit differently. And after, it's interesting, it's just a few weeks ago, but some of the people from the group are reaching out to each other and they're getting together on their own. And, and when someone from the group was needing some extra love and prayer and support, the group reached out naturally without anybody saying you need to reach out or anybody reminding them, hey, don't forget. They were just the church being the church. And it was a great reminder of just how much we enjoy being with our church family. See, the gathering that we all think of as church, this, this gathering here on Sundays, this gathering always gravitates toward doing what it does, toward putting more people in rows and having more people attend. And by the way, don't stop attending, please. I, that's a really good thing. We're together. We're part of a community. But being part of a community is more. It's, it's more than just coming and supporting the church community by gathering on Sunday. Again, Sunday's wonderful. I, it's my favorite day of the week. But when you read the New Testament, Jesus didn't only rely on large gatherings. Jesus said this, he said, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, I gave you the example, now you must love one another. And he followed it up by this. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And if you forgot what he said, he said it again, if you love one another. So in other words, Jesus was saying, if the way people are going to know that you're following me is, is not really about how you treat me. It's not even necessarily about how you talk about me. It's going to be the way that you love one another. So the reason I want you to join a life group and the reason that it'll help you become part of the community is it's, it's because through a life group, we're best able to engage one another and love on one another. Do you know who never, ever tells me that they feel disconnected and alone? People in life groups. Being a part of life group is not just an add-on to the ecclesia, to the community that we're building. It's an integral part of the way that God made us, made us to live our lives. He made us to live our lives in community. And the Jesus movement is all about one another. Now, it was this <clears throat> one anothering that really captured the attention of the first century pagans. 
They just could not understand what they were seeing. They were seeing these Christians and they were just loving on each other. And in their culture, loving on each other was not a thing people did. And so if it captured their imaginations, it will capture the imaginations of the lost people here in the 21st century also. So if you want to maximize the success of your life, you need to not just be satisfied to sit and soak on a Sunday, but you need to find a circle because circles are better than rows. And you need to find a circle with people that you can do your life with. That is the essence of our faith. Now, before we leave this particular topic, I want to tell you one more thing. Starting a group is easy. Now, I know you don't think so. And by the way, I was with you. I didn't think so either. But this is how you do it. Watch this, real easy. You walk up to somebody, you call somebody, you text somebody, you inbox somebody, you WhatsApp somebody, you reach out to somebody the old-fashioned way in person, whatever you do. And here's what you say. Hey, want to start a group? Done. Once you do that, you've got a couple of people. If you stick around here after church on Palm Sunday, that's April 10th, two weeks from today, come see me. In room one, and I'll give you step-by-step instructions as to how to get started. How to get started. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't, I will show you everything you need. I'll answer every question or concern you have. Because listen, I fell in love with groups when I thought I wouldn't, and you will too. I promise you. All right, enough of that. Moving on to the second way to engage, and that is to serve. Second thing you can do to engage, to overcome loneliness, is to find a place here to serve. And in fact, that's why God made us. God told us specifically that's why he made us. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul talks about it. Paul says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Why or for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right? That's why we're created. And it's also something that I have experience with because when I first became a follower of Jesus and I started attending a church, somebody just walked up to me and asked me, would you help out? And I said, sure. And they said, in the nursery. And I went, did I say sure? (laughs) Nursery? I did not aspire to work in a nursery. I never imagined myself working in a nursery. Can you imagine, like, you have your own kids, and say, it's okay, you do stuff with, you know, change the diapers, it's gross, but whatever. But other people's kids, are you kidding me? But I did it. And I'll tell you, a few unexpected things happened. The first thing that happened was, I, I enjoyed it. I had fun. It's fun to be on a team. And it was really fun to know I was helping families out. I was helping families get the most of their worship time at church. And I know that sounds really spiritual and everything like that. And how did I know that if it was my first day there? I knew it because every parent who came to pick up their child told me, thank you so much. I was able to worship. I was able to not worry about my son or my daughter. I, ha- I was able to just for one hour to not hear mommy, 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 my daddy, daddy, daddy. I was just able to go, oh, wow, people thanked me. Every parent. I didn't know I was doing anything meaningful. I thought I was helping watch the kids. But it was meaningful. And then second, I met a bunch of great people who were also volunteering. And I'm still connected to those people today. And the third thing that I didn't even expect was I was part of something much bigger than myself. I was part of something that God was doing, not just in my life, but in the lives of other people as well. And before long, I was in. I was hooked. I found myself teaching kindergartners and first graders. And I did that for, I think it was three or four years. And I didn't know what I knew. Like, I was new to the Christian thing. I mean, really, really new, as I've told you. But that was a great place for me to start. 
What do they say? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Yeah, that was good enough for me. And I learned the Bible by teaching the Bible to children. And I met so many people there. And again, today I count those people, some of those people as my closest friends and some of those people as a part of our Hammock Street community. There are people I met in the children's ministry, and you know who you are, that are here with us today. I found community, even though I didn't know I was finding community. Engaging as a part of the serving community changed the way I thought about church and changed the way I thought about the people who were in the church. Now, there are a bunch of places you can serve, even here at Hammock Street. If you have children, I really do recommend that you consider serving in the children's ministry, giving them a little bit of time. Or if they're a bit older, serve in the middle school or, youth, or high school ministry, the youth ministry. There's a bunch of reasons to do it. The first reason, which is, I don't know, it's a great reason in and of itself, is you get to work with Pastor Scott. Now, Scott, Scott and Holly are out of town this week. But have you talked to Scott yet? You met Pastor Scott yet? He, he's got to be the most positive and enthusiastic person on the planet. I mean, working with him every day, I have never met a person that is that upbeat all the time. And his joy is absolutely contagious. So if you serve up there, if you serve with the youth ministry, children's ministry, family ministry, you get to serve with Scott, and you'll be better off for it. Second, and this is important, if you serve, your kids are going to see you serve. Your kids will see you serve and they'll begin to think, okay, this is something my family does. And when they get older, guess what they're going to do? They're going to serve because that's what family does. They serve. We served in all the ministries when our kids were in them, when our sons were in them, our sons as they were growing up, they served. We served and then they served. They served when they were old enough to serve because that's what we do. We serve. Some of you guys were around then. You remember our kids were, they were on the, every worship team. They, you know, forever I had free music. I never had to worry about that. I had musicians and I had, I knew there were people to help because they were my, my sons. And guess what? They're adults now and they live in different corners of the country. But you know what they do? They serve. In fact, both of them are working in fields where they serve other people. Now, I've talked to a lot of you folks about your kids do you want that for your kids? You want your kids to grow up like that? I bet you do. Well, here's your opportunity. It's a great opportunity to lead by example. Kids are not listening to you as much as you think they are, but they're watching you a lot more than you can imagine. And I beg you, don't find out how accurate that statement is after it's too late. And then three, if you volunteer with at least those ministries, you might be able to go on a couple of trips, and they're fun. Youth mission trips, youth events, those are really cool things to go on. I have a lot of great memories of doing mission trips and youth projects with my sons. But it's okay if that's not your thing. It's okay if serving in youth ministry or children's ministry is not your thing. We've got other places for you to serve. Because we want you to serve in a ministry that gives you energy, that makes you feel like you're plugged into what God's created you to do. We do not want you to come in and serve somewhere that feels like a burden. So the bar's pretty low. If you're good at saying hello or even hi, that'll, that'll suffice, you can actually serve. You can join one of the frontline teams. You can help with the parking lot. You can help with the greeting. You could be one of the first people that new folks meet when they walk in to Hammock Street. You can help them get plugged into other people. If you're musically inclined or technologically inclined, as you could see today, 
You can serve in the worship team or the tech team. We'd love your input. Now, if your time during this present season is limited, and the older I get, the more I realize that we do go through seasons, and sometimes we're too, too busy, and sometimes we got a little bit of time left over. But if your time currently is limited, join a seasonal team. For example, Beth put together this year a Christmas decoration team. T-shirts, everything, rah, rah, all that. Some of you guys are in the room that are on that team. It is so much fun. It's great to come together. We have a really good time. And it's so much fun to know you're creating an environment so people can celebrate Christmas. Now, if you care deeply about the community in which we find ourselves, our sort of larger community, you can join the outreach team. Heath Cummings, one of our deacons, heads the outreach team. He organizes service opportunities all year. We just did a beach cleanup last weekend, if you remember that. We pick up around the neighborhood. The neighbors always see us out there in our Hammock Street shirts picking up picking up stuff. We help people who are hungry. We help people who are struggling. Let us know what interests you and we'll point you in that direction. Because if you engage at Hammock Street by serving in an area that you love, you'll feel closer to God, his people, and his church. And that feeling of disconnectedness will evaporate. And you'll find you'll be more excited to be part of Hammock Street every day. Now, the next way to engage is to give Now, I know pastors talk about giving too much, and pastors have a reputation for that, and I I try to be very mindful of that, and I try not to do it too much, but also, I'd be remiss if I didn't do it enough. So there's a balance there. But I need you to know that giving helps people own the mission of the church. See, Hammock Street Church, like many churches, not all, I guess, but many, but we are 100% dependent upon your monetary gifts, We need gifts to operate. If you don't give, we don't exist. Gifts pay salaries. They pay the light bill. Pay for the air conditioning. They maintain the property. If you notice, a lot of mulch out there. Guys did the mulch this week. It looks wonderful. Your gifts support the children's ministry, the youth ministry. The gifts support community outreach. We work with Boca Helping Hands. We, we're starting to work with Habitat for Humanity. We work with First Care Pregnancy Center. We work with Food for the Poor. We use some of your gifts to support ministry partners. We've got a pastor, Pastor Ronnie, ministry partner in the inner city in West Palm Beach. We have partners who serve cultural, political, religious refugees who end up in the Atlanta area. We support the ministry of Reformed University Fellowship that works on the FAU and Palm Beach State campuses and brings Jesus to the students there. This fall, we're going to be launching a new outreach event called Be Rich, where we're going to partner with some local ministries and help support them and what they do. So you're giving. And when I say you're giving, I mean you're giving. I mean you're scheduled, consistent, periodic, weekly, biweekly, monthly giving based on a percentage of your income working toward a tithe, working toward 10%. That giving makes it so we can keep on doing this. We can keep on doing church. We can keep on working together here for God. And when you start consistently giving to God's work at Hammock Street, you'll find that the ownership you feel over the community that we're building does wonders for your engagement. It does wonders for your connectedness to the community because it's yours. And as we've said before, but it bears repeating, when you give to God's work, God promises a blessing. He promises an out-of-this-world blessing. And let me pause here. I'm not suggesting that when you give to the church, God returns the money you gave 
plus interest. Okay, he doesn't do that. There are churches that tell you he does that. And if you're in one of those places, politely get up and run, okay? But here's what God does promise. And this comes from the Old Testament. It comes from Malachi or Malachi, the Italian prophet. In verse 10, he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there might be food in my house. And then God says, the only place in all of scripture he says is, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Okay? Giving is a way to engage. And finally, invite. Now last week, that was all I talked about, inviting we, we talked about how we should all be looking for people to invite to church and how Easter's a great opportunity to invite people to church. I'm gonna put up a video this week. We'll make it shareable so you can share that with people. I'm not gonna belabor that point, <clears throat> but because it's so important, I did wanna say a little bit more about it. So I became a believer just about 29 years ago, almost 29 years ago. And though I know that my salvation is a gift from God alone, which is what the scripture tells us, I am eternally grateful that I was invited to church because that invitation set me on a life path that exceeded my wildest dreams. And when I was in seminary, I I promised myself that if God ever called me to lead a church, I would make sure that it was a place where other lost people could find Jesus, a place where other lost people could find the irresistible God so that they could also find the joy of a life lived for him. Well, God did call, and here we are. And as I've been saying since we've been here, we want to be a place where the gospel, God's good news, is always faithfully shared in love so that everyone can feel confident about inviting their lost friends and neighbors and relatives here so that they can find God's calling in their life as well. In order to stay that way, we need to keep doing this. We need to maintain a balance between caring for people who are already here, already in our community, and caring for people that aren't, for the lost people, and inviting them into our fellowship. And that won't work unless inviting becomes part of our DNA. It has to become second nature for all of us. Now, the gravitational pull for every single church is really toward keeping you all happy, keeping all of you guys happy and content And that's good, but we also need to keep our eyes on the fact that God called us to be witnesses to the lost, and God called us to make disciples of those he rescues, and that's what Jesus taught us church was about, ecclesia was about. The ecclesia wasn't created for church people because there were no church people when it was created. God's ecclesia wasn't about church people. It was about people people. It was about the people created in the image of God, but who were far from God and needed a savior. So our focus isn't just about the people who are here. It's also about the people who aren't here yet. And to that end, we always need to invite new people. And here's something interesting. When you become an inviter, when you start inviting people, when you come to church with a person you've invited, and some of you have done this and you've felt it, you experience church the services, the music, the environments in a way that you've never experienced it before. And this is my analogy, and I think you'll get this. How many people here have been to Disney? If, I can't believe it's not every single person here. Come on, everyone's been to Disney. It's one of the reasons to live here, isn't it? We've been annual pass holders for forever. 
Yes, we're those people. And Beth and I, what we'll do, and we usually take Mondays off and we'll get in the car early in the morning and we just drive up. You know, it takes just under three hours and you park and you, we just spend the day walking around the parks. Sometimes we'll go on rides or attractions. Sometimes we don't. We just like to be there. It's a great getaway. We, we, we're in the car together. We get to talk for a few uninterrupted hours. We, we get to walk around. We always eat a big $20 pretzel. Really fun thing to do if you can do that. But, you know, after you do that enough times, it kind of loses its luster. It loses a bit of its impact. But let me tell you something. Go with a child. Bring a child who's never been. Our kids are grown, and we don't have grandchildren yet. We are praying. But I'm talking about here when we've gone with other people's children, and they let us take them. We don't just take them with us and go. Like, like we used to love going with the heart kids, Zach and Stephanie's kids. I mean, man, do we love going to Disney with those kids. But when you're with a kid, Disney just hits differently. It really does. When, when you're with kids, they, they look at everything with this awe and wonder, and so do you. Like you're watching every little, oh my gosh, I guess that would be interesting. Like we look with an eye toward whether they're enjoying themselves. And whenever we've gone to Disney with the kids, we don't even notice the time we had. We notice the time they had. Well, it's kind of like that when you come to church Because when you've been coming a while, though you still love it, it does get a little bit routine. But when you bring an invited guest, well, your whole outlook changes. When you bring a guest, your mind shifts from worrying about how comfortable your seat is or is somebody sitting in your space or was the coffee watery this morning or where are you going to go for brunch? I mean, we do think about those things. Listen, I think about those things when I'm sitting where you are, so I get it. When you bring a guest, man, you are connected. You just want your guest. Is my guest enjoying this? Is my guest connecting with God? Is my guest going to experience this life change that I was hoping for? And when your brain goes there, man, that's where God wants you. You're engaged, and as a result, you're finding yourself feeling this unconditional love for the person that you've brought to church, and and you feel so connected to your church community at that moment. And at that moment, you find yourself completely committed to doing everything you can possibly do to point those people to Jesus. And then, at the end, there's a bonus. If something happens on the day that you bring a friend, and, and that person comes to know Jesus, man... It means everything to you. And conversely, if something happens that creates an obstacle, you see it, and then you know what to tell me. Russell, you gotta be careful. So-and-so should not be greeting people, or you really can't serve decaf coffee because everybody needs the caffeine, whatever it is. And then we can refine what we're doing because that's what we're trying to do. That's the mission. We're committed to remaining a place where lost people can connect with God, and, and we're really obsessed with being a place where you can always feel comfortable and confident about inviting a guest. You never have to worry if you invite a guest that I'm going to say something that's going to just make you feel like you're just a worm. So if you want to get engaged at Hammock Street, get into the practice of inviting other people to join us. We want you to get to that place where not a day goes by that you haven't thought about inviting a person. And no matter where you land on the social landscape or the political landscape, every follower of Jesus knows that only God can provide the life that we human beings long for. And we, God's people, have been tasked as God's representatives to tell that to the whole world. Don't be afraid to invite people to Herring Street. And one day they're going to thank you. One day they're going to be so grateful that you took a chance and did so. Here's a little story about invitation. One day at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he approached 
a man named Philip. And Jesus said to Philip this, you might've heard it before, follow me, okay? Jesus said, Philip, I want you to be one of my people. And Philip immediately thought of somebody he could invite, his friend Nathaniel. So Philip went to Nathaniel, and here's what he said in John 1.45. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel, when he heard that, and he heard Jesus was from Nazareth, which was thought of by many Jews as an inconsequential, unsophisticated backwater town, Nathaniel's response was less than ideal. Nathaniel said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? But because he knew his friend Nathaniel's need of a savior, and because he had complete confidence in what Jesus offered, Philip wasn't dissuaded from inviting Nathaniel, and he told him simply, basically, Phil, you need to trust me. He said, listen, come and see. Just, I know what you think about Nazareth, come and see. And that's what we're working on. We're working hard to make Hammock Street a come and see kind of place. So you can always feel good about inviting the people you know to come and be a part of this community, of this ecclesia. You'll be more engaged at Hammock Street Church if you get into the practice of inviting. And if you're bold with those invitations, one day, they're gonna come. And when they come, something is gonna happen in their heart. And it's gonna happen in your heart too. And then, by God's grace, you'll have the privilege of seeing someone baptized that you invited, and you'll be a part of that story. That's what I want for you. I want you to engage. All right, so let's land this plane, get you out of here. Jesus is the hope of the world, and the local church is the expression of Jesus' hope in the world here among us. And you have an opportunity to be part of a church that's going to get the job done and that's committed to the people that Jesus loves. So if you want to feel connected here at Hammock Street, engage by connecting with a group, serving on a team, giving a percentage and inviting a friend. See, I really believe this. We are doing something big here. We're doing something that can change our world, the only thing that can change our world. And it's my heart's desire, it's our heart's desire for you to be a part of that. And if you will engage at Hammock Street in the ways that we've talked about this morning, God will, he will move mightily in our midst and he'll build a community that'll be the greatest force for good that this area has ever seen. If you will engage, you will never, ever want for connection Again, guaranteed. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us to this fellowship, bringing us to this community and allowing us to be a part of it. God, move our hearts to the place where we can connect and we can engage and we can get to know one another better and work with one another as we travel through this life. And God, if there's anyone here today who hasn't yet given their life to Jesus. But if they're sitting here and feeling your call on their heart right now, God, help them to know that they can go to you by praying this prayer to themselves in their heart and mind. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I be <clears throat> believe that you died for my sin and rose from the dead. 
And now I turn from those sins and give you my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior forever. When you do that, your life is transformed. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.